everybody, and welcome into the New England Ski Journal's Basecamp podcast. I am your host, uh, New England Ski Journal editor Eric Wilbur. I am joined by my co-host, as always, Mike Speechin, who as who is at home in his comfortable New Hampshire abode, recovering from knee surgery. And I only have a few more weeks to say that, I believe. Correct? Ah, uh, that is correct, Eric. Congratulations! Um, I should be back in the studio here just before I go to Salt Lake. So I can't waste the drive time at this point because that takes away from PT time and my time on my bike trainer, spinning and spinning, trying to strengthen everything up and get get full mobility back. Well, we're glad that you are on your way back and look forward to having you, not so much in the studio, but I'm looking forward to having you out on the hill so that we can talk some skiing. I'm looking forward to the weather improving so we can talk some skiing. I'm looking forward to many things and putting that still January and just excited for the season. But you would be proud of me because after last week and talking to to Dan and, and Steve at Tenny Mountain, I started just thinking about indies in general, right? And and about community skiing and and the importance of it. I recently I, I was lucky enough to talk to Eric Mogensen, who's the the founder of Entembani Entembani. And to Benny, I'm not sure how you say it, and to Benny Systems, who recently purchased Indie Pass last spring. And he said something to me that kind of hit me. He's like, when Black Mountain closed, right? I remember saying, putting something on Facebook like, oh, I learned to ski here. This pains me. Just something, just that's how I'm feeling. Like, did it really, am I really going to not go on living life because Black Mountain's closing? No, but did it pain me? Yeah, a little bit of my history died, right? So then a week later when it reopens, it's, you know, thanks to IndyPass that they have come to an agreement to sort of make sure that Black is healthy for the winter. And I think that's great. I think what Mogensen and, and IndyPass is doing is, is just phenomenal. Uh, but he did tell me this, which I kind of felt a little bit seen. We all want these places to be around. Like we're all super traumatized when Black Mountain announces it's going to close. Credit me. But then we go out and buy an Epic Pass. So we have to kind of vote with our wallets a little bit and think, I think that does start with people understanding that these small places are behind the eight ball when it comes to infrastructure and, and capital. A lot of their assets are heavily depreciated. And that's, that, that, that's not like that came as anything like I never, I never really realized about independent ski areas. But I, I, I thought that, but then we go out and buy an Epic Pass is something that, that you have kind of said to me in the past, right? Like that, that's great, Eric, that you skied Stowe, but, you know, we, we, we got to kind of concentrate on, on the smaller guys too. And I get it. As a, uh, as a ski journalist and as an editor of a, of a magazine, I do have a responsibility to cover and pay attention to the small guys and the big guys and the medium guys and that kid who just, you know, finished first in his high school meet. So I, I I get why we need to pay more attention to these smaller mountains because of the community and because of that importance. I feel almost like we're becoming full circle in people wanting to go back to skiing's roots. Now let's see if we can, like Eric said to me, kind of vote with our wallets and show people why we ski at these places and what the reason is and how important that is. Boy. Are you proud of me? You, 
I am very proud of you because as I have been in the New England ski business for an awful, awful long time, I worked for Carol Reed Ski Shops. For any listeners that remember Carol Reed, they're gone. I spent 20 years with the ski market as a senior person there. They're gone. You look at these these places, and I'm gonna I'm gonna even take it even farther. The MVPs, the City Sports, the EMS, which came back but under new ownership. All of these stores were local entities where your neighbor, your friends worked at, and everything else. The same thing with the small ski areas. Um, you know. We need to support the local guys, and I've been saying this, how many times have I said it? More times than I can count on all of my fingers and toes and so on. Restaurants that just came through a terrible Christmas week and so on. And I had a Lahoots up in Lincoln <laughs> and Littleton. Anthony Lahoot, I was he sent me an email on something, and we went back and forth. And his statement was, boy, some of these restaurants, stores, yada, yada, aren't going to make it unless something changes. And with that being said, that is the truth of small ski areas, independent ski areas, the magics that have had a tough time this year because of weather, the Blacks, the Mount Abrams, and we can go on and on with the names. It is our responsibility to support those people and not take the easy way out of Amazon or Epic or Icon. I'm putting them all together here, folks, because the product is that good at these places and the skiing is that good. Please get out and support them. I don't care if it's Mohawk in Connecticut, Mount Southington in Connecticut, Bosquet in the Berkshires. All of these areas need our support to upgrade, but also to stay viable. You brought up a couple Connecticut ski areas. Why would you be doing that, Mike? That that Connecticut? Who skis in Connecticut? Well, you know what? I'm I'm wondering how many ski areas were in Connecticut at one point. I don't have that number, but how many are in Connecticut right now that operate? At this stage, at this today, with the weather we're having, not well, many. With with or without the weather, how many how many ski areas in Connecticut were planned on being opened this year? Seven, four, four, four. There are now four ski areas in Connecticut. How we many were? I mean, I, I know you. Just I, said I have I have no idea how many there used to be, but I know there was a lot more than that. All right, we'll find that and and try to get that towards but, the end of the show. Yeah, but we have Mohawk. We have oh my goodness, I just went blank. Uh, Southington. We have Sundown. That was the one I was missing in Canton, and then we have Powder Ridge. It's and it's pa- just it's just amazing. Powder Ridge is the closest ski area to Manhattan. And it's, as it would be, the southernmost ski area in New England. So you can only imagine the challenges that come with that. If if ski areas or resorts or the veils or the icons of the world are having difficulty making snow, can you only imagine what it's like 
at a, at a temperate climate like Southern Connecticut. Powder Ridge is trying to fight that battle this year. They put in a brand new snowmaking system. And as we saw at Ski Ward in Shrewsbury, those systems can do some very powerful things. It's a matter of how long you can run them and how long that delivery can, you know, actually make you viable. We are lucky enough. We're going to have Powder Ridge Mountain Park and Resort owner Sean Hayes on us with us coming up next. We're going to talk about what it takes to run a ski area in Connecticut, sort of the challenges of, of, of what is behind that and what's next for, for Powder Ridge. We will have him next right up after this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Joining us on the Zoom line, we're excited to have Powder Ridge Mountain Park and Resort owner Sean Hayes. He's going to talk about what it takes to run a ski area in Connecticut. You, you think that mountains in New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine are having some challenges, but you haven't heard anything yet. So first of all, Sean, thank you for joining us and welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, guys. We really appreciate it. Sean, we're we're stoked to have you here, especially we we know the challenges as you go farther south. Why don't you tell the listeners from up in the Boston area, the Providence area, and up north here, where exactly Powder Ridge is, first off, and what you do? Well, yeah, we are we are the southernmost New England ski area in the country. So we are south of Hartford by about 30 minutes. So we're just on the south side of 84 that diagonally cross, crosses Connecticut. Unfortunately for us, we're on the south side of that, which is basically the snow line where if it snows, it snows north. So it, it has been a challenge, always has been. Our biggest is where we are because there's 23 million people within a 90-mile radius of us, but our biggest detriment is where we are, close to that shoreline, warm weather. Uh, so when it, it snows in Massachusetts, it's raining here in Connecticut. Now, Sean, you purchased Powder Ridge in 2012, is that correct? Correct. It was closed for almost eight years prior to that. We brought it in 2013-14 season for the first season and we've been going strong this is our 10th season so why what was the impetus behind that like what is your skiing background and how did you get into the sport how did you become no no of powder ridge i grew up in in connecticut so i was here at powder ridge i didn't ski i was not a skier growing up but we owned a park just nine miles away the summer it's a flooded quarry we do adventure sports, zip lines, cliff jumping, wakeboarding, rock climbing, etc. So when we looked at our staff, it was a natural fit to go into a winter seasonal business and keep our employees employed year round. It was a distressed property. That is our business plan. We go in, turn businesses around. And I think the biggest asset that we had was I wasn't from the industry. So we looked at it, new, separate, looking at the industry, what could be done differently? How do we make this thing work being in Southern Connecticut? And we decided that by making it a 12-month year business and adding a whole complement of new service and offerings, we could actually make it work. It, it has not been an easy 10 years. 
But we have finally turned that corner, and I think we have something that we can be proud of. The community has embraced and welcomed their mountain back. That is unbelievable. We we just last week had Tenny Mount on, which is in the midst of that revitalization for exactly what you just said, the community, which which is so important because that's the benchmark of what skiing has always been about. So you have a you have this little magic piece called the snow factory. Can you can you sort of give us an idea what this is all about, your new snowmaking? Yeah, I mean again it, it comes back to being that southernmost New England ski area. We don't get that snow. We don't even get the temperatures. I mean where where some of our competition in the northern hills of Connecticut they're sitting here at 26, 25 degrees, making snow every night. We're at that 28, 29 degree, high humidity, very challenging. So we knew, we looked at all the latest technology. We went to Damac Lenko, who just partnered with KTI, the largest temperature independent manufacturer of snow gun in the world. And we brought in their one of their latest plate ice factories it it comes self-contained in two container trailers so it's a full contained refrigeration unit so we can make snow at any temperatures in theory but our philosophy was we're not going to make snow in the middle of the summer but we can start making snow next year october 1st october 15th and leave it in piles if we can now guarantee our customers, we will open for skiing, boarding, and tubing on Black Friday every year. Now, that unit didn't show up this year and get fully installed and certified until November 12th. I think we started making our first snow. And we were open for tubing and for skiing on that one little trail by Black Friday. Now that makes for us all the difference in the world. I mean, our community wants to come together on a mountain that skiing during the holidays, those, those weekends in December, building up, bringing family in. So we wrapped an entire winter festival around having guaranteed now snow every weekend in December. And it was very, very successful. That's awesome. I We saw a, a similar sort of wanting to flaunt this technology up at Ski Ward in Shrewsbury, where they became, quote unquote, the first in America. Yeah. Mike, Mike's going to lambast me for this, but first, first in America to open. You didn't have any sort of flaunting PR. You just kind of answered that for me right there because you didn't get it up and running until November. But hat. How encouraged are you? You just told me, like, going forward, you're going to be open Black Friday. Is that just like a a something completely different that you didn't expect to kind of happen over the past couple of years or definitely since the pandemic? How much of a game changer is this system? Yeah, you know, this system to me make, makes this facility now, it takes it over the hump. It makes it profitable. You're you're adding an entire month. We're talking about in a ski area in Connecticut. We're lucky to get January, February, and maybe 15 days in March. That's our season. 
So if I add all of December, I've increased my market share by a third, number one. But more, more than that, it was about that holiday season. That built, we brought in vendors. That whole market, come to the New England, buy your Christmas tree, go shopping, go tubing, get some experience and, and teach those kids some lessons. So it, it's going to be about introducing winter sports to this urban customer base. And that's, that's what we are. We don't want to compete with the northern ski areas. They're our complement. We want our customers going to destination resort after we teach them how they make sure they're, they're on skis. But not only teaching, but this is their base. They ski here weekdays. They ski, go, go traveling once, twice, maybe three times a year. But this is their home base. In having that December, it involves everyone in the family now for an entire additional month. So to us, the economics were night and day. We tried previously synthetic skiing, synthetic snow, and it's just not the same. So this is real snow, no chemicals added, that you are skiing guaranteed in November. That's, it's uh, just amazing. I mean, we, we see big snow down in the Meadowlands and stuff. Who are, They're doing a great job. They're doing the same thing you are, bringing in the new skier into the marketplace. Eric and I were just talking about it regarding how how tough it is in Pennsylvania now, how tough it is in Connecticut. I, I asked him how many skier areas were open in Connecticut t- today. And I believe there's four. Is that correct? Yeah. There there is there's four primary, but yeah, there's four of us and I think everyone's open finally. Right. Um, and it's been a challenge. Oh, but how important you guys, the Pennsylvania resorts, the Maryland resorts are to the sustainability of the industry. Agreed. That that is the important part of it all. So with the challenging weather that we're having again this year, how has the snow held up to the heavy rains and stuff? Uh, Because Jeff Crawley has always touted that. Man-made snow is so much more durable than natural. It, it, it's more durable because you're grooming it. You're packing it solid. You're grooming it. And like I told my guys, we're, we're, we're getting some natural snow tonight. The bowl's only here. Seven inches for the first. We're normally, Connecticut by this point should have had over 15 inches of snow. Doesn't sound like a lot. 15 inches is a lot. We've had zero so far. So, again, if we can even take that natural snow, pack it, groom it, and, and truly get it in, into our base, then it'll survive the, the rain. We are expecting two inches of rain on Wednesday. So, as long as we can get ahead of it, pack it, groom it, and make that watershed get off of it as quickly as possible, it survives very well. Uh, you recently told Connecticut Insider you're hoping for between 200 and 300 daily visitors as the season ramps up. Has it been close to that? And I know you you talked about there's no you haven't done really PR push with this, but are you like licking your chops to market this thing next year? I really am. I mean, I know this year we got a late start. We got here late, but here's here's the fact: even in December, we were hitting over 1,100 customers a day. 
wow. because of that snow factory. So we far exceeded our first year estimates. And we, ex- this whole, again, it, it's more than just skiing and boarding. It's bringing the old family together, grandma, grandpa, and everyone else, come for dinner, go to and have cocktails. We had an ice bar. We brought in a giant igloo. So we had the ice bar out there, live entertainment every Saturday night. If we do that, we believe we can create a business model that gets us over 100,000 visits in December alone. That, on the equation of things, that, that doubles our, our season. So it, it doubles what normally this kind of resort would do over the winter season in December. That's night and day difference. Remarkable. That's that's incredible. When you start talking 100,000 skier visits, I can tell you that there are a boatload of resorts in New England, bigger resorts, that don't do much more than that. And the Here's only the thing, I'm not, I'm not talking 100,000 skiers. To right. me, it, 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 it's 100,000 visits. And I would say to you, 70% of them are not skiing. Gotcha. So they're tubing, they're eating, they're going to the market. So it, 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 in December, it, it's not a huge push on skiing. It's about those winter activities as a whole. But, but to us, it still visits. And the snow right. them in, right? If you want to go enjoy a winter wonderland, here's some snow we made. And look, it just adds to the entire atmosphere. Exactly. The snow, we call it snow play, and we've now extended into our January and February business model in that we call it snow play. It's for the younger kids. Come out, a mini tubing run, but we also put you on a Burton riglet board with a handle on it so they can get on those boards and be exposed to these winter sports at a very young age. And the whole family is involved out there, and it's amazing to see those customers to this winter activity and it's all winter activity it is i believe a significant and and it was all because of this snow factor it's a significant driver that will benefit the industry as a whole do you think other resorts after they see what happens here will they embrace this do you think i mean talking to other owners and ski areas I don't, I don't think they're going to have a choice. I mean, in, in where weather patterns are going is, and I'm not going to get into the political aspect of global warming and all that, but, you know, the weather pattern is changing. There's no doubt about it. So as a, as a complement to existing snow-making technology, I believe 70% of all resorts will have in a temperature-independent snow-making of some sort in the next five years. You also told Connecticut Insider, I think our whole thing here was the community wanted their mountain back, which we discussed a little bit. Particularly now in a time of mega passes, though, do you think we're starting to embrace these independent places a little bit more? Like, do you see a a gravitation or at least an interest that more and more skiers want to ski closer to home or they want to support their their local independent area or they want to it, it seems like we're recognizing a little bit more and more much to mike's delight 
the fact that independents need to be supported and that we're recognizing this a little bit more now? I do. And I, I, I keep going back to the pandemic, but the pandemic really we all trust customers, it brought customers back to their local ski area. Vermont, New Hampshire, those guys closed during the pandemic. And, and our customers in Connecticut were going there constantly, but they came back and tried us again and said, hey, with the snowmaking technology, the trails, I can do this two, three times a week. Get my trousers in, enjoy a good dinner. It's more than just the skiing. It's I can join my community, gather, have a drink, and then still go to the destination resorts. And the price difference between destination resorts and your local ski areas now is night and day different. And the affordability to bring a family of four and five to these destination resorts is out of reach for a lot of people. So I think it's important, though, for local ski areas to to make it what I call easy fun is critical. Tubing, snow bikes, making it easier, but also economical. So the family of five can come here and enjoy themselves at a reasonable price point and more importantly, return. It's about return visit, coming back to the skier. And I think we've done it. The community has come together. They're supporting us wholeheartedly. And look, we haven't done everything right. We've done some things wrong in our 10-year history and in, in over-promised and under-delivered initially. But we are there now. They gave us a second chance. So the community, I think, has gotten their mountain back. That is... That is just amazing. You, you mentioned affordability. My biggest problem with all these mega passes is that, sure, the mega pass is affordable to people and they get to go all over the place, but it does not bring anybody new into the skiing world. And unfortunately, Icon and Epic have lost sight of that. You are an important piece link in the chain. How are the Learn to Ski programs and stuff? I mean, do you offer some pretty robust programs to get that new skier in? Yeah, when I, when I first looked at the, the ski industry, and again, being that independent, being outside the industry, I looked at it very critically. And the, and the worst statistic I saw was that 97 or 95, some 90s percent of everyone that tries to go skiing for the first time never comes back. That failure rate was way too high. So we embraced this concept of very early on of easy fun. So we have a, our sculpted learning center. So we use, we sculpt the snow. So we train them the way it should be trained. And it takes all the risk away from falling, from stop. Don't worry about stopping. Just get on skis and enjoy yourself. That, that Burton Riglet board where the kid, a four-year-old can hold onto a bar and just smile and laugh. I had a, our director of operations come in the other day with, on his day off with his, I believe she's now four or five year old daughter. And he's, he wanted to bring her a snowboard. And all she wanted to do was make snowmen. So for the half, first half hour, she had a ball making snowmen, throwing snowballs at her dad. And guess what? 45 minutes later, she got on the board. And then didn't want to get off the board for the rest of the day. So it, it's about making this sport, this industry, approachable to the new skier 
the new border, making it fun from the get. And that is we really focus on, on, on making sure everyone's having fun. So we have a, a crew now. I mean, we're up to, I believe, 150 instructors for this season. Wow. And we are sold out on most of our learning programs already. Amazing. That is great. That, that's awesome. And let me tell you, from having just gone through the process of teaching or having three children learn how to ski over the past 10 years and noting the differences in ski schools and embracing, like, like you said, teaching them right from the very beginning, you, you guys are truly a, a, a big help. And it, it's funny when you look at all the ski schools and you see many of the differences. The smaller ones are the ones they learned at the most, right? Blue Hills and King Pine are easily the two best places they got their best lessons because they were smaller and the instructors are able to have more of a rapport with them. So absolutely, I applaud the the small ski areas, independence, teaching us how to ski, bringing up the next generation. I first started this almost 12 months, bringing the community to a local restaurant because the mountain wasn't open. And I said, what do you want? What, what, what was good? What was bad about powdery? But it was the stories. And it started from, I went to school. My school went to the mouth. It's all those school programs. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, coming here to the mouth, learning how to ski. We, their friends. The memories last a lifetime. And, and my orientation to every employee on this thing is about, guys, our job making memory that lasts a lifetime. And that's what we're hoping to do is create those lifetime skiers that enjoy winter sports. And in again, I don't care if it's skiing, boarding, snow biking, or just tubing. Enjoy the winter. That's uh, looking, looking back. So it's been 10 years now or 12 10 years? years, 10 years. So looking, looking back 10 years, would you do it again? No doubt about it. Look at I love the challenge. I love developing programs. I love developing a business and I love bringing to the community. The biggest thing is, is the support we get from our local community. And, and I, I walked through the bar today. I don't know if you can hear the humming in the background, but for us here in Southern New England to be making snow at two o'clock in the afternoon is a very rare occurrence. Okay. But a couple of my season pass started applying as I walked in. And that's what it is. It's the community that understands the challenge and still support local businesses, which is the key to everything that we do in America. So, yes, tomorrow morning I would do it again because of the community. Better than great. Can you tell us about uh, what's coming up this year at Powder Ridge? Any events or parties or anything? This year, we, we have focused on, on really developing a lot of programs. And I swore to my, my management team, I would stop bringing in new stuff. So we have new concert promotion company, production company taking over our concert. So there's 10 concerts in our natural amphitheater. We have original acts, bigger acts coming to the mountain this year. It's our second season with paintball on board. Hogan Dally from down the road joined us and brought their entire paintball facility to Powder Ridge. We have our haunted trail. We have downhill mountain biking. We brought in professional designers 
We're now up to 25 downhill mountain biking trails with, again, a focus on the learning, the beginners. So it's a whole learning center with sculpted earth to make it easier to learn how to downhill mountain biking. It's not so scary. And again, it's about we're, we're really now putting programs together for the schools, the park and recs, and the YMCA camps to make Powder Ridge a summer destination for their trip this year. Awesome. Mike, that is- so it's really about refining and doing the programs around the existing stuff that we have. And well, I, I think that's a key to success because Mike, like when we talked to Bolton Valley and that was essentially what created them was that community aspect of teaching the community how to ski at an affordable price. And so the, exactly. That's what Ralph Delorier said, the exact same thing. And that was how many years ago? The fact, Sean, that you are taking something that is old school and bringing it back to today of community. I applaud you something incredible. It's funny you say that because this this mountain had gone through a couple of ownerships in its history, but it was in its original founders was two brothers, the Zemmel brothers. 1959, I believe they opened this mountain. And I, I pulled a brochure from 1967, I believe. And it was all about exactly what we're talking about, this, this community mountain or... or I'm not sure where I'm at. Ridge line. Okay. But it's creating a destination for the entire community year round. I mean, they had a pool. They had that swimming club. They had all these programs back in the thought was there in 1967. And, and again, I didn't create anything, but I'm one hell of a plagiarizer to take the good and refine it and bring it back to the community. That's called aggregation. That's what we call it now. now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Legal. Well, Sean, why don't, why don't you give the listener, you said you have another park. You've got a bully pulpit here. What else do you do in the summer? Oh, we do have a second park. It's called Brownstone Exploration and Discovery Park. It's nine miles away, right outside of Hartford, easy to get to. It's an old Flooded quarry. So all the brownstone buildings that you see in New York City, Boston, Washington, D.C., 90% of that brownstone rock came out of this one quarry in Connecticut and floated down by schooners down the, the river to the city. And it's 100-foot walls, so we do rock climbing, cliff jumping, zip lines, wakeboarding, scuba diving, kayaking. Great fun. It's a great day trip from anywhere in New England. We have schools coming from Maine, from New Jersey, up to us. And I'll just warn everyone right up front, plan on everyone is asleep in the car on the ride home because it's a great day of fun. That is uh, unbelievable. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I have never skied uh, Connecticut, but it is on my list for this year. And I got to tell you, Sean, that you know about the healthy uh, enthusiasm for skiing in Connecticut. But for those who aren't aware, um, just go hop on a Alpine Zone message board. Okay, there's one where discussion over the years has 
really focused on Ski Sundown, Powder Ridge. And because so many of those people are from Connecticut and they talk about those communities that even though I haven't skied any Connecticut ski areas, through the power of the internet, I do know of the clientele and the passion that that exists in the nutmeg state. So congratulations to you, Sean, for this huge development at Powder Ridge. Uh, We wish you all the best this season and into next and look forward to coming visiting. Look forward to seeing you here, and I'll buy you a drink at the the tavern. Well, we next 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 year, Eric and I are going to come down and ski day one for the first in the nation. There you go. You put words in my mouth there, Mike, but yes, I will be there. You got it, guys. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it. It was a pleasure. That is Powder Ridge Mountain Park and resort owner Sean Hayes. We'll be right back. Eric, Sean was invigorating especially with the season we've had so far especially down in connecticut for him to have the optimism the energy and he just blew me away because the word community just came back time and time again well community and the excitement over this new snowmaking system knowing that they've got something in their back pocket that they haven't even really pushed public public relations wise they they haven't really made this a big to do that they've got this revolutionary new snowmaking system so big times could be on the horizon for powder ridge now we're not saying that powder ridge is going to become the go-to resort in new england but it is going to be a or it already is a great feeder hill we've already shown the way sean talked about the 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 lessons program there and some of the heady numbers that he has for expectations of doing skiers, really encouraging. It's great to see, and it's great to see his sort of enthusiasm for the game having changed in Southern Connecticut. Yeah, really amazing. They've got a year-round program. I love the fact that he took on this project because he found a way to keep his employees employed. So he's that sense of community within employees is huge, but I also was blown away. I mean, he laughed at first, but I I wanted to ask him, would he do it again with the climate issue that we actually have? And he said, point blank, yes. I mean, that's sometimes you look back and say, hindsight being 2020, would I do it again? But there was not even any hesitation in his voice. Well, there's a little hesitation. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he laughed a little. Well, but you you could tell it was an honest answer, though, right? It wasn't like he was saying, oh, geez, I got to say yes, right? He, he answered honestly. So let's give him that, right? I can only imagine the challenges of, of running a, a ski area in Connecticut. It's just good. We drove to Allentown, Pennsylvania over Christmas vacation week, and we drove during the rainstorm on December, was that 27th, drove 95 all the way through Connecticut, and it was just pounding rain the entire way. And then when we got to to Allentown, my hotel room overlooked Mighty Blue Mountain. And so we saw blue, but it was nothing happening there. And again, in Pennsylvania, a place I've never skied, I understand the healthy, and more than I, you can speak to this, the healthy enthusiasm there is for skiing there. And how we, in this day and age of global warming or the weather patterns we're having, that a lot of those places are having it harder than ever these days. Oh, it's it's brutal. I I saw a post from 
somebody from Liberty and Roundtop wondering mm. when they were going to open down in Pennsylvania. But the enthusiasm of skiers from, as you said, Connecticut, from the Pennsylvania Pocono resorts, all you have to do is go up to Gunstock at the Pichet race that weekend. And all of those little junior racers from down there all come to Gunstock. And you look at them, and they are just giddy. They're fun. They want to ski. That's the future of skiing right there. And only two hours from Manhattan, it, it does naturally make you think of Big Snow, which you brought up. And when I was at, I wasn't, I didn't ski at Big Snow, but when I was in Jersey for the Patriots-Jets game back in September, which seems like it's in yeon ago that now, I was floored by the traffic flying into the mall with people with skis on their arms and holding their boards. And the the business that place was doing was remarkable. Now, you can hop a train from Manhattan and be there pretty quickly. A two-hour drive from Manhattan is a little bit different, but it's negotiable. I kind of can understand how Powder Ridge can become that same sort of destination for people that just want to get out for a few hours, right? Maybe you are an expert skier and you just want to loosen your muscles for a few hours, bring your kids skiing and, and, and drop them off at the ski school, go get a couple runs yourself. It tremendous opportunity and tremendous potential there that this new ski, that this new, I'm sorry, the new snowmaking system, the, the Menklenko Snow Pro is its official name, is bringing to Powder Ridge. And whether or not we'll be seeing more snow factories, Sean seemed to think that this is inevitability that other ski areas need to get a snowmaking system like this. So it's going to be something to watch in Powder Ridge to see how this snowmaking system does their business well. And like you said, they're, next year they're going to have a third of their season extended by being able to make snow in December. That's a game changer for, for Powder Ridge. It could be a game changer for the rest of New England. Oh, 100%. It's kind of interesting. We have had back-to-back podcasts with Tenny and now Potter Ridge. Mm -hmm. And they are saying the same thing, that you've got to, the old way of doing business isn't going to cut it. So I applaud them both. And I invite you, Eric. I invite everybody else. Let's go ski Potter Ridge for the first in the nation next year. You could go ski all four ski areas in Connecticut in one day. Well, that? not unless they're first in the nation. I want I want day number one at Powder Ridge. That's true. Okay, so Powder Ridge, are they going to beat out Ski Ward next year? That's going to be what I'm watching. It'll no longer be Keystone, Loveland, and A-Basin fighting it out. It'll be Powder Ridge and Ski Ward. Yep, Killington and Sunday River, go back to bed. It's Powder Ridge and Ski Ward for next year. Mike, thank you very much, as always, for helping out in the podcast. Eric, fantastic talk. I just want to tell everybody, we do have an incredibly fun podcast coming up with Wayne Wong and Freestyle at Waterville Valley. Yep, to preview the World Cup World Cup Bumps event coming up at the end of the month. Who better to preview World Cup happening in freestyle skiing at Waterville Valley than Wayne Wong, obviously. Mike, thank you very much. I am Eric Wilbur. This was the Basecamp Podcast from the New England Ski Journal. We will see you next time. New England Ski Journal's Basecamp is a Siemens Media podcast. Siemens Media, inspiring, 
informative, insightful.